When it comes to leading up the chain, what do you do when your goals aren't seeming to align? Example, making money versus having an impact. Okay. This is the deal here. The goals have to align. Mm. They have to align. And furthermore, they will align. That is, now you might have to go pretty high up the chain to make this happen, or you might have to dig pretty hard to make that happen. But this is a great example, right? The example is making money versus making an impact. And I'm going to tell you that those two actually align. How do they align? Well, let me explain. If your company makes more money, they will have a bigger impact, right? They will have a bigger impact. So let me... Let me break it down a little bit more. So, so if you want to have a big impact on a client, right? And so what you do is you spend so much time and so much money with that client or with that customer, you're going to realize that the company, if, you're, if you invest that much to a client or to a customer, you invest that much time and that much money, mm-hmm. your company is going to go out of business. Now, how much impact are you having with that, with that <laughs> client? The answer is zero. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes the opposite happens. And this is probably what you, what the question is related to. For instance, if we, as a company, we start cutting corners on quality, we start cutting corners on customer service or, or whatever the case may be, we might make more money in the short term. Oh, like to save money yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, we save gotcha, money. You know gotcha. what? We were supposed to have 10 people answering phones. We're going to fire six of them. We're going right. to have four left. That means everyone's waiting on the phone. Right. So now we don't have good customer service. Now we're starting to write a Yelp review. I was on hold for 14 hours. I hate this company, right? This <laughs> happens. This is what happens. This is the example. So, so now up the chain of command. So before it was, look, we need 30 people in the call center to answer the phone. Mm-hmm. And that way everybody gets an answer within 30 seconds when they call in and when customer calls in. Okay, we're out of business in a month because we can't afford 30 people, so now we have no impact. Mm-hmm. The other end of the spectrum is we have three people in the call center right. responding to phone calls. We Everyone has to wait an hour. Now no one, everyone hates our company. We also have no impact. Yeah. So the, the, there, the goals have to be aligned at some case. And, but the, the thing is, it is a balancing act. It's, it's between expenditures for the cost to produce or the cost to provide service. And you've got to keep that as low as possible so that, so that money is made. But you can't go so low that quality right. and customer service and follow-on business and customer relations. You can't go so low that it gets destroyed. And so you as a as a worker need to realize that your higher ups are trying to balance that. Mm. And they're saying, hey, you can't dedicate this much time or you can't dedicate that much time. Echo, you need, you're spending too much time with each client. You need to get three more clients. Well, I can't give them the impact that I want. I can't give them the focus. Okay, can you handle one more client? Yeah, I could probably do that. Okay, we're finding the balance. That, mm. You know, another good... Restaurant business, right? Mm-hmm. Restaurant business is a really easy, simple one to understand because the quality of the food that we get and the quality of the the, the chefs that we have, the, the more it costs to buy the food, the good food, mm-hmm. and the higher quality chef and cook and help we have, the better the food's going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, all that stuff costs more money. So you got to find that if you you have a restaurant where it's the best hamburger in the world, it's eighty four dollars. Mm. You're not going to have a line at that place. You but you you have impact because you're having the best burger in yeah. America. Guess what? 
you're not going to be in business to have your impact is going to be zero. Mm-hmm. Other side of the spectrum, salmonella poisoning because you're because <laughs> you're buying cheap stuff and you cut you know refrigeration costs and and that's guess what you're going out of business too. Yeah. So the goals are aligned at the end of the day because profit equals growth, growth equals impact. Now, you know, are there ethical times where someone says, hey, we're screwing over company? Yeah, absolutely. Look what just happened at Wells Fargo, mm. right? Wells Fargo had a had a a plague of that type of behavior, and it was rampant throughout the whole company. Guess where they're at now? They're hurting. They're hurting. They made a bunch of money in the short term, mm. but guess what? Now they're not trusted, so they got to do some recuperation, but that's a classic example. So someone from Wells Fargo might have asked this question. Yeah. And, you know, a year ago before the story broke and said, hey, Jocko, we're trying to do something positive here. And the, the, the company, were, my goals aren't allied with the company. And he would have been right. And he should have raised his hand because what he could have said was, hey, bosses, if we keep this up, we're going to lose the trust and confidence of the public and we're going to be hurting. And he would have been correct. Yeah. So you got to find that balance. But just remember that even though the goals might not seem aligned, they are aligned in the end. Mm-hmm. They need to be. They're not saying they always are, but if they're not aligned in the end, you're gonna, you're probably gonna go out of business because mm. you just cut a swath of mayhem. Mm. You you destroy your customers or either through high prices or by low service. One yeah. of those two things gonna happen if you don't find the, the dichotomy, the balance. Not even dichotomy; it's the balance. You gotta find yeah. the balance. All right, welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. Uh, today's episode is just a Q&A with Michael and I. Michael, how are you? I'm doing well, except uh, I'm, a, I'm a Twitter pariah at the moment. Yeah, you're kind of like, you remind me of uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what, what did you do? Who did you harass? Whose life did you destroy? Who did you dox? Uh, once again, I was trying to give helpful information to journalists, uh, and they would have none of it. Uh, the first time I got locked, it was because I I offered some, uh, you know, job hunting recommendations. But whoa, 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 whoa! Already, like hunting implies <laughs> violence. Okay, and job that might have been interpreted uh, as opportunities. A death Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying words matter and words can hurt, Michael. So you really need to reflect on like why you got banned from Twitter and, you know, take it to heart instead of. Yeah. Although, I mean, but let's be honest here. The reason I got in trouble that time, I asked her how her JavaScript was and uh, the Python maximalists on Twitter, and I won't name any names. Like I may have reported me. I may have reported you, but in any case, whoever did report you, they were doing the right thing. Okay, <laughs> the the amount of nonsense in JavaScript. Also, like I don't understand people who are like, oh, I I don't like the way Python uses white space to like have uh, meaning. That's a, yeah, that that's a that's a silly. I've never uh, had a think, problem with that. I, yeah, like, especially considering that uh, when JavaScript is done right. 
And you have to imagine if you're not watching the live stream, like heavy quotation marks there. <laughs> when it's done right, you need a lot of good white space to keep track of, you yeah. know, all of the curly braces uh, as you take your descent into callback hell. Uh, so yeah, no, white space is great and it's very helpful to to a programmer. And I don't know of any, you know, coding style that says, oh, you know what, just indent however you feel. You know, usually well, people also, conform like, on a on a yeah. standard. If you're indenting like more than three times, that means you need to refactor and break that out into a separate uh, method or function or class or whatever, because that's just becoming unwieldy. So in a way, it, it allows you to actually have like some some code smell in that regard. But I've just I've never encountered a bug where it was like this was a scope. Uh, like a variable scope problem that was caused by white space or lack. Uh, I, I have had that happen. Yeah. I mean, not, not like in production, yeah, but you're anything, a JavaScript. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, you know, if, if I had like a, you know, uh, if statement and I'm coding and coding and at the bottom, I have a return statement for yeah. something else. Like, well, let's say that there's a okay. return statement in the if statement. And then there's a return statement outside of it, and yes. I don't, I don't put uh, de-indent the final return space enough. Uh, I've had that happen before. That's fair. That's fair. In any case, uh, so yeah, that's a bad, it's a bad so, so journalists, to me, I've I've always this this is what I find perplexing. Like my background is as an accountant, and I learned to code after I graduated from college, and uh, you know, I don't want to like say this as a way to brag about my SAT score, but I did very well on the verbal section of the SAT and very poorly on the math. And like, I was never particularly good at science. I didn't take any kind of physics classes. I I barely got through calculus in high school, which was enough to test out of it with the AP test. So I didn't have to take it in college. So I saved that. But like, I got like a C in microeconomics in college because it was like, a bunch of calculus and stuff that I wasn't interested in, not like a quantitative person. In any case, all this to say that programming does or coding or whatever you want to call it does not necessarily, now sometimes it does, necessarily entail any kind of mathematical quantitative knowledge beyond basic middle school algebra, right? Of like this variable A contains this value. Um, yeah. And, and 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 then beyond that like it's mostly composition and how are you structuring like a narrative, you know, how are you writing? Like you're really writing. Now yeah, granted, it's very logical, but you're writing. Exactly. Well, you got to be logical and consistent. Okay, so that and puts coding beyond the reach of most journalists. Uh but I feel like maybe maybe if we told them learn to be logical, then that would that would I'm go sure over better than learning columnists to at like you know the Atlantic or something that like are right on the precipice of being able to, you know, do coding. They occasionally have an article that's interesting yeah. to read. Um, Look, I, I'm not saying like their code would be riddled with bugs and you know yeah. data corruption issues and whatnot. I'm sure, but you know, if you have the right structure around them that can uh, fix that that kind of uh, mess, then then they would actually might be okay as uh, you know cranking out some crud app. Yeah. So this other tweet that I got in trouble for yeah. uh, was 
me telling so- someone was talking about how there's a special place in hell for people with anime avatars telling laid off journalists to learn how to code. And then another journalist responds, uh, yeah, that's an auto block, you know, for me. And I just pointed out that if you learn to code, you can make use of the Twitter API to automate the the blocking. And in fact, I, I think you could probably find some computer vision libraries out there that would make it pretty easy to, to just do some basic uh, analysis of the profile picture, take in the words and just, you know, block for you. You could do that. Like yeah. that, would, that wouldn't take a long time if you just, you know, learn some basic Python skills and, and learn how to, you know, install and use libraries. Um, so it's, it's actually unfortunate that, you know, they, they don't even want to level up their own, you know, abilities to, to be, you know, the, the protected class on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, during the nineties, people talked about like culture wars in the U S between conservatives and liberals. And, uh, I feel like, you know, we're still living in just like a continuation of that. And there's, it's just relentless and i don't know like it, it, it you know it's because it's not it's not specific to our time right like throughout history there's always been some kind of whether it's like catholics versus protestants like religious wars uh or whatever it is throughout time there's always like i think people need need some kind of conflict but also our our like human psychologies are just different enough that we can get into conflict with each other as like tribal groups and we can find it. We have the ability to create it where, where it doesn't exist. If we, yeah, (laughs) even, even among Bitcoiners, there's like, there's, there's rivalries, uh, among people who are like in a total complete echo chamber who, you know, all agree hyper Bitcoinization is going to happen, but, uh, (laughs) we somehow managed to like disagree with each other and get into feuds. Yeah, it's also all, all of this is is very interesting to me on a more meta level yeah. in the sense that I think it really just shows a dichotomy between people who want to take charge of their own lives um, and sort of uh, self sufficiency and competency and those who just want to you know you know uh, be uh, uh, you know a, a slave to the system and that that sounds more extreme than yeah. I need it to sound but. No, you're right because the, the other thing, like they're they're essentially they're foot soldiers in this cultural war, right? And they're like working in the uh, trenches of Twitter, uh, th- shooting out one tweet at a time. Um, when there are others who are thinking much more strategically and who are using uh, the ability to code, uh, whether it's for nefarious purposes with like bot armies, you know, putting mm-hmm. forth uh, FUD or not FUD, uh, putting. Uh, fake news uh, and whatnot. Although, frankly, like the mainstream media does a good enough job manually cranking out fake news without a bot army. Um, but in any case, they they could level up their ability to fight these culture wars by using the ability to code uh, on both on both sides, uh, left and right, or, you know, li- libertarian or statist or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, perhaps they like being foot soldiers. Uh... Yeah, there's because that's, that's kind of like, the the comfort in knowing that like you're doing enough and it's kind of like fast food like okay you're eating and and you're like you know you're getting calories uh but it's not necessarily going to be very healthy for you yeah i and, and meanwhile i kind of want to be i don't know like a field sergeant 
you know, just just out there trying to like direct things, find novel ways to just tackle marginal problems. And I mean, but with the that that dichotomy, I think a good example is BuzzFeed. You know, as as a case study, which is uh, I, I posted a uh, an article from 2015 that I think I'm you know I'm I'm the type of person who would remember articles like this. It was some Vox talking about BuzzFeed. Um, and specifically the founder of BuzzFeed uh, and CEO Jonah Peretti and some like articles and stuff he had written in college, maybe graduate school about kind of weird Marxist, you know, theory and all of like Vox, Vox itself was arguing. I was not making this argument. Vox was making the argument that BuzzFeed can be viewed um, as as sort of a implementation of these theories. Like right. BuzzFeed makes sense when you understand the theories of the guy who's creating it. Um, and, you know, who's actually getting to craft, you know, this this strategic vision? It's the CEO and the sort of uh, coding underlings under him that are helping with the engineering tasks and like figuring out how to actually solve these problems. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the people who are getting upset, you know, the blue check marks, they uh they're they're just writing you know articles about like farts and stuff which yeah. i'm not even joking there's all kinds of like listicles about farts what what kind of fart are you is a headline i saw recently uh and they wonder why they get laid off and they're all getting laid off vice uh, well i mean if, if we can't find out what kind of fart you are then that's the end of democracy like at that point the dissemination of information has halted and we enter into a dystopian reality where no one knows about anything because journalism has uh, disappeared. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, I, 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 I do want to just uh, yeah. take a second to shout out to two journalists that I do like. <laughs> I can name two. One is Kyle Torpy, and the other is Aaron uh, Van Wordham. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for uh, consistently putting out truly fantastic, you know, articles just about um, all the technical and economic topics around Bitcoin. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks, guys. Uh, what was the, um, oh yeah, the last, latest one from Aaron, I think was about like mast and um, those uh, upgrades. Taproot. taproot mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely go check out their work. Uh, they, I, I, I wonder, um, yeah. I was going to say, I wonder if, if they've learned a little bit of code, but it's okay. Uh, both of them, both of them had responded to, to tweets of mine on this topic, uh, expressing that they either had learned some code or had a desire to do so. Yeah. Uh, Mike Dudas at the block was like, oh yeah, I, I tried to code, you know, repeatedly and it was just like so frustrating and I just like couldn't get anything done. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's coding. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Now you know what it is. You learn to code. Just bang your head against the wall repeatedly. Yeah. I wonder if uh, it's it's uh, in journalism. Every time you you write an article, you get to put it out and get your little you know dopamine hits with the clicks. Yeah. Uh, with with coding, you spend a day coding on something, and it's something that you didn't want to do at all because it has nothing to do with what you were planning on doing. It's all working on some bug with some tooling and mess up. And you spend the entire day and then you finally get it to work at the end of the day and you have like a moment of relief and you have nothing to show the world for it. And you have to keep going on the next day to try to make something 
and then only at some point you have some kind of release you can show someone, and that's when you get you know a pause. Uh, but it, it's much more the the responses on coding have more to do with actual results um, than signaling because you know either either the computer computes what you want or it doesn't. There's no there's not really an in between. Yeah. Um, well, so I don't think that journalists will ever be automated with code, but I also just, it's not clear to me that we need journalists, to be honest. Oh, I know well, there's plenty the of people code, who will be upset code will help us just like block out journalists. <laughs> it's not, it's not that like we'll have bot journalists, although those do exist. Yeah. Um, it'll just be that we'll use technology to better shield ourselves, um, from that kind of culture. And People should look into the the history of journalism, especially in America, you know, since the founding of the country. I mean, even I was looking during a lot of this, I was, just, you know, poking around Wikipedia and I was finding stuff about, uh, I believe it was called the Daily, no, uh, the, the New England Current or something like that. I, I forget the name of it. It was the one that uh, Benjamin Franklin had written at uh, as Silence Do Good. Um, yeah. I think it was his his brother in law. Someone someone related to him was uh, running it, but uh, even that at the time. I mean, today we're like, oh, Benjamin Franklin wrote a silence do good, and it was like this great moment of American freedom or something. But at the time, it was seen as garbage. <laughs> um, and when you look at the the history, it's not as though like journalism has has only gotten bad now. Um, yeah. You know, we there's a history of yellow journalism, um, and typically newspapers were, you know, a a platform for political parties um, and various vested interests. That's where it's always been, and I think the pernicious thing about modern journalism is that they've somehow gotten people to think that they're an objective source as opposed to still just being, you know, a, a yeah. vested interest of, you know, Jeff Bezos or Carlos Slim or whoever else is so owning It's funny because I, I was inoculated on this at a, an early age in high school. Um, this was in France that I was in high school. And my history teacher was like a left-wing anarchist. And so, like, he was all about, like, the Howard's in, like, history of the United States, you know, uh, the, the white man killed all of the Native Americans. And, like, I, I understand that a lot of that is it's obviously true and uh, whatnot. But in any case, um, the, the, so his whole point was, like, uh, you've got on one side all of these uh, private enterprise, you know, capitalist journalists who are trying to make money off of evil advertising and they're all about uh, spreading like bad news. Uh, and like he, he would like focus in on this about how like the media uh, spends so much time spreading bad news that we always think that like everything's like that we need uh, systems of control around us uh, to prevent, you know, bad news from happening. Uh, and like, there's there's some truth to that obviously i don't know that it's a grand conspiracy or anything like that um but in france too like there's like government you know media essentially and so like they they have their own like agenda about uh you know spinning things their way and, and making the government look good and 
making the government look needed and everything and whatnot. So uh, we spent a lot of time like looking at instances of journalistic bias. Like history is just chock full of these things. We're like, historians us and, words. and the other thing too is that historians are often no better like historians are biased as well so you'll have biased historians reporting on biased journalism and it's like quite the mess to untangle to figure out what were the actual facts on the ground and frankly like it's an open question as to will ever know what the facts were on the ground short of time traveling yeah uh, and, you know, to it is kind of funny we're spending this much time on a Bitcoin podcast talking about this, but I do think that this is uh, an interest, uh, important topic for Bitcoiners to understand uh, because so much, you know, uh, most of our battle is in education, right? You know, we're trying to teach people about, you know, why should you want Bitcoin? Why do you need Bitcoin? Why is it a good thing? You know, uh, how do you you know, uh, use the software, like there's, there's so many levels of different things we're teaching. Um, and all of that is in the same, you know, information, you know, social media space as this, and it gets drowned out. Um, and it's, it's, it's fighting for people's attention. Oh, um, it's, well, so I, I think it's, it's even worse than that, Michael, in the sense that if we look at how, like, I know that, you know, we mentioned a few good Bitcoin journalists, but if you look at like, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, like Vivek, uh, the Economist, yeah, Vivek, Vivek Wadwa, like <laughs> they they are not just like biased, but just outright, you know, like tripping out against Bitcoin, yes, um, and and spreading disinformation and miseducation about Bitcoin, uh, things that are just like factually incorrect, just objectively, like even putting aside like our pro Bitcoin views, mm -hmm. like I understand that. You know, they could they could write like, oh, you know, Bitcoin will not have enough hash rate and we'll have to switch to perpetual inflation. Like, OK, that's biased, but there's not it's really actually, like an objection. Like it, 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 it's actually even if I saw a journalist writing that, I'd actually be kind of impressed yeah. that they're <laughs> able to think on that level in Bitcoin. But they refuse to even get to that level. No, no, not even close. <laughs> uh, but yes, I mean, a, a good instance of this was um, a couple months ago, there was that push of, uh, you know, another slew of articles talking about how Bitcoin's uh, energy usage is off the charts and how, how, how much of an ecological disaster um, it is. And what you see in these articles when you really just start to, you know, actually, it barely takes any digging, you, you come to realize that all of these articles were coming from the same source and it was just the same people rewriting, if not just, you know, copy pasting from Reuters or whatever. And it was just, it was based on a press release of some really shoddy, poorly written academic article. Yeah. And then everyone just latches on this and you get to watch the media in action, just gaslighting you, making you believe that, oh, well, look, I mean, look, like 20 different sources are talking about this. Like, clearly there must be something to it. Um, but really, no, it's in fact, there's, there's almost something suspect of non-breaking news being covered by 20 different sources at once. Like it's oh, one yeah. thing if, you know, like, you know, JFK was shot and everyone's right. talking about JFK getting shot It's another one. It's like, you know, just a paper comes out and now every single media outlet is, is covering it. This is because, uh, you know, these, this system exists and people exploit it you know, for their use 
So in this case, I, I, I'm pretty sure is an academic article, in which case, you know, some university has some PR crew that, you know, calls up their buddies and says, hey, we have a new press release, please write an article about this. And uh, it just spreads. And then everyone sees it so much and it, it just latches on in your brain that uh, associating Bitcoin with ecological disaster. Yeah, uh, Paul Graham uh, wrote a piece called The Submarine in 2005 talking about public relations firms and uh, the the big media outlets. And basically, like, these public relations firms will, like, cook up a press release. And, you know, because they and how they do how they go about this is like any kind of industry where basically like a lot of people who work in public relations used to be journalists. And so they they like know journalists, they're friends with journalists. Very incestuous. Uh, yeah, it's all, and this happens like in every industry. Like I, when, when I worked in accounting, like, uh, you know, the partners of the audit firms would become the CFOs of the clients and whatnot. Like it's it's just completely nor natural, like human behavior. I only like when my in-group does it though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, when we see this group do it, what it means is that uh, if you can pay top dollar for the best PR firms, and you put together, you know, a, a nice slick press release uh, like Ripple does, for example, uh, you can feed it to a journalist. You can force feed it like a, a you know, a duck before you're going to make foie gras. Uh, and uh, the journalist will regurgitate it, it on their, you know, print blog. Um, and and then that has like a stamp of approval and of authority uh, and of objectivity on it. When really what you're looking at is just corporate propaganda uh, that a journalist was, you know, through through his now they'll they'll be very upset if you tell them that they were bribed. Uh, but <laughs> through non-monetary social bribes, they were, you know, persuaded to to put out this piece uncritically. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty absurd. But anyway, that's the yeah. situation. And, you know, another good instance of this happening is like, I know, you know, university, I, I mentioned university, universities like Cornell, you know, have their PR ties. And so, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, why is it that someone like Amin Syrer ends up in many articles getting to, you know, state, you know, this and that about how Bitcoin is, is inferior to, you know, whatever he His wants shit to coin. show. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and part of it is just you know he has a he has a PR firm to help him. Um, you know, I think you know Bitcoiners were kind of on our own, um, and it makes me love Bitcoin more because it 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 shows just a a streak of success where we just keep winning um, despite the fact that uh, in many ways we're the the underdog. Um, I do want to yeah. give uh, real quick just yeah. you know uh, in case we move off the topic, but. Uh, I we can talk recommend. about this for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I do highly recommend that listeners, if you know, they say, I, I think our listeners like to read books. Uh, and if you want a good book on this, I, I recommend Trust Me, I'm Lying uh, by Ryan Holiday, uh, where he talks about the incentive structures around uh, journalism and media and how he himself was able to exploit them to create viral marketing campaigns. Um, and it's, you know, it's an amoral force and, you know, you either use it for good or for evil. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, we can find better ways to, to meme Bitcoin to success. Um, apparently, it means, you know, uh, engaging less with journalists so I don't, you know, offend them. 
uh, and just focusing on, on putting out quality Bitcoin content. Uh, Michael Folkson asked, did you listen to Jack Dorsey on Joe Rogan? Rogan has received a lot of flack for that interview, apparently. Uh, I'm, I think I'm like halfway through listening to it. And um, I it, like the, 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 the politics have gotten like so cranked up to dial 11 that I don't think that you can have like Jack Dorsey on and like have Joe Rogan berate him enough for everyone to be satisfied. Um, yeah, it actually, I, I I feel bad for Jack Dorsey, uh, what position he's in, because, you know, I, I I can think of many things that I would criticize about various Twitter policies. Um, but what I what I do notice is I don't think that it's any particular group, like, because I notice that literally everyone on every side of the political spectrum seems to hate Jack, and yet they're totally addicted to his website. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm addicted to Twitter and I love it for what it is. And I just, you know, accept that it is what it is. But and in any case, you I got kicked off because you're trolling <laughs> a protected class called journalists. Had I, I kind of class have to learn somehow, I guess. Um, yeah. Just teaching me the hard way. But uh, I, you know, I feel bad because the guy, you know, he's built I mean, the fact that everyone is so angry about it just goes to show how massive of a platform this is not just in terms of users but just in mind share and yeah. how much of people's lives revolve around uh twitter it's almost like our metaverse in yeah. a way um if, well it's funny but, let's tie it together here because uh, oh yeah. if i if i can finish it's just yeah, like yeah, the yeah. fact that everyone hates it so much and yet like he i mean everyone like relies on it loves it so much the guy can't just show up and talk about twitter <laughs> everyone just wants to like hate on him yeah. There's like, there's no, there's not an ounce of gratitude. And quite frankly, like, despite the fact that I, I have my, you know, uh, uh, various qualms about Twitter policies, like, thank you, Jack, for creating such an amazing platform where I've gotten, you know, to, to meet so many friends um, and create so many enemies uh, and get into just, you know, great fights, great memes, uh, yeah. great content. Like, it's, it's just been so much fun. Like, you know. I have to say thank you. I don't think anyone else has like any bit of gratitude. It's unfortunate. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, when we were talking about like Bitcoin doesn't have PR, um, it's it's weird because some things have happened like organically, right? And um, I think that there are journalists who can like cope with Twitter and cope with people talking back at them. And this isn't specific to journalists, but anyone on Twitter, like, People have different uh, ways of interacting with the service. And so like um, there's uh, like uh, Joe Wiesenthal. He was the editor or he was like a writer at Business Insider. And he was very deeply skeptical about Bitcoin. Um, and I think that like by arguing with Bitcoiners on Twitter, uh, he ended up conceding that Bitcoin does have some, you know, interesting properties that would make it, you know, a uh, a, a non-zero value system. Yeah. Um, and I think, th and then like afterwards, he invited me onto his podcast on Bloomberg. Yeah, uh, and I've I've had lunch with him. Yeah, uh, he's a great guy. Shout out to Joe. Uh, he also, I have to give him credit because 
there are obviously obvious disagreements I have with him on Bitcoin <laughs> um, and monetary economics in general. Uh, but one thing that I really like about him is that he always provides sort of the best um, like foils yeah. in the sense of, of he, he busts through the straw men. Um, so, so, uh, he, he doesn't I'm trying to think of how to articulate this. He, he, he doesn't let you get away with just throwing out the weak arguments, um, with Bitcoin. He, he has like a, a, a better way, like with the, the energy one, you know, uh, he, he was pushing back on Bitcoiners trying to take the line of, oh, well, actually just look at how much energy the banks use. Yeah. And he was like, no, like he was basically pushing Bitcoiners to be like, to just take ownership of the fact that it uses electricity and that's a great thing. And I, I appreciate that, that kind of uh, foil. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I, the other part is like the, you can learn. It's funny because like you're, you're supposed to only learn from journalists. Like apparently, apparently the system is supposed to be that you learn from teachers from when you are two years old, you learn from your parents from zero to two. You learn from teachers from two to 24, 22 or whatever. And then you learn from journalists after that. And then you die. Lifelong like, learning. Yeah. <laughs> like that's supposed to be the framework based on based on conversations I've had with journalists where they're like, you know, it, our, our work is to inform the public. And I'm like, do you think there's anyone else with that role in society like other than journalists? <laughs> to inform the public because they really, they, they don't, they, they, they don't acknowledge like to them, anyone else who is informing the public is just an amateur. Like they're, they're either going to be too technical and not be able to uh, communicate with the public uh, or they're going to be too stupid and like communicate the wrong things to the public. Um, and I think that like the, the proliferation of like YouTube celebrities and like Twitter celebrities and whatever it is of like, people who are directly communicating with the public who are not journalists and who are providing information that apparently passes the smell test for a lot of people, right? Like they, they build up a big audience. Um, and yeah, I'm sure like plenty of them spread complete and utter nonsense, but uh, show me empirical data showing that uh, YouTube celebrities provide more false information than CNN. Like mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I don't think that's true. Like, it, I also, what I, I see I, I don't get offended if someone was like wrong or if like there's a group of people who follow a lot of bad ideas. Like that's, that's not something you can get rid of. Um, and you know, I'd, I'd rather people have the ability to accidentally learn bad ideas than, you know, live in a world of like not even being able to, to question the world around them, um, and yeah. becoming, you know, just an autonomous automaton. Um, so Anyway, My, uh, Michael Folkson in the, the yeah, comments, yeah. Uh, he says, uh, Jack's got to get some credit for not going down the shitcoin rabbit hole with Cash App yet. That's true. Uh, big props. I'm I'm astounded by, by Jack's ability to hold steadfast in Bitcoin maximalism in Silicon Valley. Yeah, absolutely. So so one one counter to that, Michael, would be, isn't the USD a shitcoin? Like, are you really gonna let Jack get away with having USD in the cash app? Well, he did. I guess he started with a shitcoin. So here's here's my view. But on when it. did when did when did Square start? Yeah, my my view on it is that 
you it's okay to have a shitcoin that is more liquid than Bitcoin because okay. like Bitcoin, it's like punching up, you know, like on, they say only punch up. Same thing. Yeah. Here's the thing though, is yeah. Square was founded in February, 2009. Wow. Is so are they he Satoshi? Well, he probably like had not quite heard of Bitcoin yet. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, there's that, there's that inertia that just happens. So, and because it is a more liquid shitcoin than Bitcoin, especially back then, uh, I'm not going to give him too much grief uh, for having done that, but he's, he's redeeming himself. So who am I to judge? <laughs> can't judge. Can't judge. There's also, they, they provide an incredible UX and they do exactly what, you know, any, any respectable sort of uh, Bitcoin, you know, uh, retail exchange ought to do, which is just streamline things down to Bitcoin uh, for, for the purposes of not confusing customers. Yeah. Um, so now I just want to see lightning implemented in the, uh, square cash app, but I know, there's, I so know much that work to be done. there's a lot of work to be done and it's still, it's still a very immature network. Uh, like I, uh, it's funny because you'll see people like there, I saw this Ethereum guy being like, there's only, you know, X millions of dollars on the two, <laughs> two million. Yeah. yeah. Is, I, I wonder if that's even okay. Yeah. So it's about right. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, totally fair point. Uh, but then he compared it. Well, I mean, I, I don't know that putting only in front of that and implying that it should be more is a fair point because really like, um, I've had now I run one of the largest lightning nodes in the world. The Humble biggest, drag. one of the biggest, one of the biggest. Um, I've had two incidents where it was not clear to me if people lost money or not. Uh, but um, well, no one, one right now is an ongoing investigation that we're looking into. <laughs> the other one, there would have been a loss of funds if I had not, uh, if I had not, basically, if I had been an anonymous, you know, node that you wouldn't be able to contact because basically I was able to close the channel for that person. Um, and so, like, I don't think that the Lightning Network, like, even today, I don't think you should necessarily open a channel with a node whose who's who's operator you cannot contact. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe, maybe they're pseudonymous, and that's fine. I'm not saying that they have to have a real name or anything like that behind them, but just, like, have a way of contacting them because this is so like, I think this should be built into the protocol. Like you should be able to send a, a DM to, to a, <laughs> a node, but um, we're not there yet. Uh, now. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how that evolves. And in, in any case. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm also not familiar yet with any good, you know, mobile lightning wallets. Uh, yeah. That because there's you know, there's pe people are using blue wallet, but that's a custodial one. And, you know, say what you want about, you know, perhaps some people will just find their way into custodial stuff. Uh, as far as building the, the infrastructure for this, we first need to kind of, in my opinion, kind of need to make sure that you can run it in the self-sovereign sense before yeah. you start giving people those options. Preach. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, in, in that regard, like, I think that there's a lot of bizarre conversations I get into with people about how, well, you know, you're, 
nobody's going to run a full node just to get on lightning and or like you know your your grandma's not going to run a full node to go and meanwhile, and meanwhile like people <laughs> yeah i have like a bunch of people trying to run a full node to get on lightning and so it's like this bizarre conversation where uh you know the 95 percent of my time is is spent helping people run a full net to get on lightning <laughs> and this person's telling me that no one wants to do that it's very like i understand where they're coming from where like their mindset is you know and this is some, I, I remember us ranting about this like five years ago the the idea of like we have to get mainstream consumers oh, yeah, interested yeah. in bitcoin <laughs> this has been going on for half a decade now uh bitcoin has dramatically grown without really doing much in terms of like attracting mainstream consumers. Like I, 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 you know, people might say that, Oh, you know, like Coinbase, but like Coinbase was the same in 2013 as it is today with regards to like Bitcoin, like nothing like maybe, maybe as to to its detriment, like nothing has changed about Coinbase's Bitcoin product. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh, so yeah, people were not running full nodes back then. A lot of people are not running full nodes today, but now they have a really good reason to run a full node, which is to be able to get on the Lightning Network on mainnet. Um, now, they won't have to once Neutrino's out, but I have plans for that as well. Uh, like the thing with uh, the node launcher right now is that you know you got to sync the full node, which for some people takes like a couple of weeks. I, which I was not expecting because I have like first world privilege. But in any case, um, if if they can use Neutrino during that initial sync time, and that means that they can be on the Lightning Network. And then the other thing I was thinking about, Michael, uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, is I was trying to think of like how to cut down the onboarding time the most. And um, one of the issues is you, to open a channel, you have to have three confirmations. Mm-hmm. So already it's like, well, that means your onboarding time is at least on average 30 minutes. Now, I was thinking, couldn't you hack LND so that if, if you open, if, 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 I, if my routing node opens a channel to your new node, uh, that I essentially could say, okay, zero confirmation is fine. And I'm going to route payments over this channel. Uh, and like, if it never gets included in a block, then that's only me that loses money. You know, like no one else loses in this situation, I think. Um, and then it's like, I can onboard someone with a zero confirmation transaction and they can be sending payments, you know, in seconds after like essentially just getting on Neutrino and connecting to my routing hub. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think when I was looking at uh, configuration stuff, I think that LND, I mean, the three confirmations is just an LND configuration. You just say that that's kind of the default um, uh, of what you want. So with that in mind, I mean, perhaps you could, you know, add in some code that does some trusted stuff of like, well, if it's to this node specifically, make it fewer. Yeah, um, which would be interesting, but I, I don't know any Go, so I, I wouldn't be able to uh, <laughs> to help this. Yeah, so it's Bitcoin dot default chan comps um, is the default number of confirmations a channel must have before it's considered open. Oh, interesting. Okay, so basically, I'd want the ability to set that on a per channel basis, mm-hmm. 
Um, and then also like, it's, it's funny to me too, because like we, we make fun of uh, B cashers because they are always like trying to, uh, you know, paper over uh, zero confirmation like this. Um, but in any case, I'm totally willing to be a hypocrite on this. Uh, if it means that we can do a very fast onboarding now, like, and the other thing too is, yeah. in, in in a sense, this is like a a trusted third party situation, right? Which yeah. I think is the difference there. It's like, well, it's because I trust you. It's like, hey, let's like just go with the zero confidence. Let's have some lightning fun. Well, the other thing too is that like I the this transaction is essentially sending bitcoins to myself. Mm -hmm. Like, why why would I like it? So it's not only is it trusted, but it's trusted with yourself. <laughs> uh, Do you trust now, yourself? Granted, like the the payments that you're going to be routing at that point, you're going to trust the other person. But really, what you could do is just have has have risk controls around that, right? Like, okay, if you open a channel of ten million satoshis, like they can't just route ten million satoshis through you in thirty minutes, or you know, like yeah, it, this or, is this is one of many things. I don't know if macaroons helps with this specifically because I guess that's it could eventually, the, the but I don't think they've thought about this part. Yeah, I, I just get I get really excited just thinking of how granular macaroons are. Yeah, just imagining the different kinds of things you can deploy. I mean, I didn't even know this, you know, because uh, when you set up Jewel, you use the admin macaroon. Typically, yeah, and I think Zap does as well. But when I was looking, it looked like there was also an invoices macaroon specifically for an app to be able to just you know issue invoices. Yeah, so it would be better if, if we started using that macaroon instead of the, uh, or uh, well, to pay. Well, that's that's oh. that's for like a web app that's accepting. So I think that the macaroon. Well, actually, now Jewel has opening channels. So like, if you want to have access to all the Jewel features, you do need the admin macaroon. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. But it makes sense. I it see makes sense for Jewel. I'm just saying, yeah. like, here's an example of like, well, you have an app, and all the app is doing like Satoshi uh, Satoshi's plays. All the yeah. app is doing is uh, making invoices so people can pay it. So that app, that server should only have the permissions to be doing that and nothing else. And macaroons, I, I really want to like dig into uh, macaroons and just you know see how it works and how it works with L and D um, to understand you know how you can start programming that kind of um, you know capabilities and access. That's yeah. uh, it's just, it's very powerful. I know you and I had been you know years ago we were talking about macaroons. I don't know if you remember that I was using macaroons, but there was a there was this uh, Git project where you would get specific access to Git branches and certain like maybe you can read this one, write to this branch, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was using macaroons, and we were trying to think of like, well, how would you tie Bitcoin to that? Right. So underneath the hood, I was looking into macaroons because. It, that's what they under like that's what this git program was using and i wanted to tie it into bitcoin but you know maybe that that dream of of days your is still alive <laughs> thank you lightning um, well so then also if you look at like uh jewel has like approved and rejected domains uh mm. that for like sending and receiving payments like i think that's just managed by jewel but really that could be you know cryptographically enforced with macaroons if you wanted to be like, I don't want to send more than X amount to y'alls, mm -hmm. um, you know, to curb your y'alls addiction. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you could have like a, a little fund for just anything online. Like, you know, I'll, I'll throw X number of Satoshi's 
up to X number of Satoshis a day at just random things online. And then I'll, but you can budget out, you know, what, yeah. what all you want to be spending in your digital life per hour. <laughs> oh, did you see the, the Wi-Fi? Yeah, that's awesome. Point? People, people were hating on it because, oh, you need internet access to be able to, to, uh, to join it. But actually, uh, from what I understand about how, uh, when you, when you use like public Wi-Fi, you know, go to the mm -hmm. airport or a hotel or whatever, and you have to do the, or Starbucks and you have to do the logging in. Yeah. It's actually giving, they do open up some bits of internet right. access for that. So all yeah. they would have to do is open up just enough internet to you to do the lightning payment. And then you get full access. Yeah. That, that part seems like <laughs> totally uncontroversial. They could even have it like, um, like on, on airplanes, like they'll do like, oh, you can send text messages, but mm -hmm. you can't use the Wi-Fi. Like you can't stream your porn. So you could still like you could have it where it's like, oh, yeah, you can access like the lightning network. Uh, you just can't access. Maybe I'll have to edit that out. Netflix. OK, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get things back on track here. Yeah. With the Wi-Fi. Um, now, it's funny because Mike Hearn was talking about this, right, in uh, 2013, if I recall correctly. What, what, do you know what he ever thought of the Lightning Network? Did he? I guess he was gone before he, he could have much of an opinion. Yeah, although, I mean, technically he left after the Lightning white paper came out. Um, but, yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I guess they catch his eye. Because, yeah, I actually, I, I, I hate to say something like this, but I always feel bad for him because <laughs> uh, his... His shtick in Bitcoin. I mean, he look. He he tried to put forth a lot of toxic ideas. Yeah. Um. To to the point where, you know, all of us were very, uh, you know, having having feelings of good riddance uh, yes. when he left. But his shtick, when it came down to it, why he was interested in Bitcoin was because he saw it as you know a competing payment system. Um, and so much of his his work, you know, it had to do with, you know, the Bitcoin J uh, payment channels, which, you know, Matt Corallo did a lot of work on, um, as well as like the Lighthouse. Um, he had that, you know, great talk about contracts, all this stuff. Like with someone with a mind like that, had he just submitted to Bitcoin, um, you know, and found himself in the lightning world, I bet he could have been making awesome stuff. Completely agree. Um Let's see. Let's see what he said about. Uh, so uh, the capacity cliff he wrote in May 2015. This article analyzes some proposed alternatives to raising Bitcoin's network capacity, specifically the Lightning Network. Uh, but the arguments made are general and could apply to other proposed alternatives, too. So I guess uh, we have to read through this. To see. I, I think that's like actually out of context. That sounds fair. Well, Just, one one of the subtitles is complexity kills kittens. So I oh. think the, it sounds like he doesn't like the complexity. Yeah, it was also, I mean, that was when the paper was out. There was nothing to show for it. And oh, yeah. people, I, I, I used to make fun of Lightning because I, I don't like people talking about solutions that don't exist yet. Right. Well, so. the other thing too is that like he, you can be right that this is complicated and that there's going to be bugs and that it's strictly like in terms of because it is new software, it's strictly inferior to Bitcoin. 
because yeah. Bitcoin is 10 year old software that has like matured and has, you know, faced uh, DOS attacks and all this. Lightning um, 2 will be 10 years old one day. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't mean that like, oh, this system will never be better than Bitcoin. Like that's, that to me is kind of the, the hubris of it. And that's also like, that's kind of the, the foundation, you know, people throw around like the disruption buzzword and all this. But that's the thing at the center of like, the premise of disruption is that the new solution at first is actually kind of shitty compared to what already exists. Uh, but because they're like rethinking it from first principles and doing something completely new, eventually it does become better than the existing uh, system. But in any case, yeah. um, I'll have so. to read through what, what, uh, what Mike Hearn had to say about lightning. Uh, but it's funny that like he could have spent the past three years, working on it and like making yeah, and, it so, I mean, and addressing his I bet, he's, I bet he's a go developer oh uh yeah although it seems like maybe he was only ever java uh know. that's true he was doing java stuff yeah yeah um yeah well sucks for him yeah <laughs> we i actually you know i kind of thank him uh for you know uh you know sacrificing himself i, I view it you know it's i don't know if you've ever seen the wicker man uh, not the Nicolas Cage one, but the original one. But I just always think at the end, I don't, I don't want to make any spoilers, but, you know. Yeah. The Mike Hearns of the world, uh, you know, there's a, a Girardian <laughs> sacrifice going on, and we thank you. <laughs> uh, his latest Medium post, Michael, is, I want to see a libertarian Star Trek. The Federation is clearly communist, but must it be so? So uh, it sounds like he's moved on to much more important topics than yeah. I countered that with his past, where he would you know talk with law enforcement agents about you know the Silk Road, and you know was happy to see the Silk Road get taken down, and and Ross Ulbricht get punished for you know uh, uh, various crimes and alleged crimes. Yeah, so basically, I guess Mike Hearn's libertarianism extends to Star Trek, but does not extend to the atrocity called the drug war here in the U.S., which, yeah. okay, you know, like different strokes for different folks, right? He occasionally visits Cato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's pretty libertarian, you could say. <laughs> so, uh, small, uh, small uh, we, we have, speaking of, you know... Uh, punishments for uh you know people who who cast themselves out uh i wear a hoodie has uh had a question for us which is what should the punishment be for bitcoiners slash blockchainers who repeatedly suggested flating bitcoin's money supply oh man um I'll let you answer first yeah i mean first of all like i wouldn't invite them to you know come have dinner with me or go on vacation with them that's um, a bit too harsh yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that's like, you know, social ostracism. Is there yeah. anything worse? You know, we're social animals. Uh, exile and uh, being, uh, you know, kicked out of the uh, in-group is pretty bad already. Yeah, it's a good classical punishment. Um, I mean, <laughs> to me, punishment enough. How was how, how it that uh, uh, Saifedean put it of just like, you know, will just be, you know, drinking their tears. I forget. He, he had a specific way of putting the, the <laughs> tears joke. Um, um, but the, the other thing is that, like, someone whose mind is thinking about that and advocating for that is also not 
There, the, so already we've established that this person is disconnected from reality, right? Because they don't understand that like, that's just not within the next at least 10 years, if not much longer, is that even going to be something that would remotely be, uh, you know, on the table, let's put it. Uh, and so already they're disconnected from reality. So that means that like, I don't think that that disconnection from reality is local to just the issue of Bitcoin's inflation schedule. Like, I think that it, it's symptomatic of a wider disconnection from reality where they're just not going to have particularly intelligent things to say about anything else. Like I, that's kind of, and you know, that might be unfair. Like maybe, maybe they're just stupid about this one issue, but my experience has been that, no, this, this is just symptomatic of a wider, not understanding like what Bitcoin's value proposition is, not understanding what Bitcoin's past is, what its present is, and just not having very good intuitions at all about where Bitcoin's going and what the opportunities are, both mm -hmm. from like a, a business perspective of like, you know, what kind of interesting businesses are there to build on top of Bitcoin, but also just from a like, uh, like a, almost like a Bitcoin politics point of view of like, what should we be thinking about right now? Like to me, what we should be th debating is like, Schnorr, you know, like th that soft fork and like, what's that going to look like? Because that's that's the next soft fork on paper. Or or maybe it isn't. Like we should debate that. But yeah. the next soft fork or hard fork has nothing to do with uh, the block weight limit or uh, with uh, the inflation schedule. So someone who's like focused in on that, all they're telling me is that like, A, uh, I'm disconnected from reality. B, I don't have the technical competency to, uh, you know, talk about Schnorr uh, and C, like I, I don't really have uh, very good business ideas that I'm excited about and thus would want to discuss that instead of uh, something that's going to get me socially ostracized. Yeah, I found I found the tweet. It was Peter Todd quoting Saifedean saying, anybody who tries to inflate Bitcoin will cry and we will laugh at their tears. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, not <laughs> you're, you're completely right. It's all highly correlated with uh, just all sorts of, of bad uh, signs and, and beliefs and ideologies yeah, I mean, it, and stuff. Like, and, and in 90% of the situations, like the person who is concerned about Bitcoin's like, you know, perpetual inflation or lack thereof uh, is an altcoiner. Yeah. So it's like, well, you uh, look at the difference of, you know, Peter Todd, speaking of him, he's someone who I've seen many times talk about, you know, the future of Bitcoin is like, I don't know, in decades, maybe this will be a problem. And yeah. from like an intellectual honesty point of view, I, I can see um, why uh, some people could believe that that could be a problem, you know? That's it's 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 an idea, and it's I, I don't know if it's worth discussing, but it's you know it's a it's 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 not it's not a stupid idea to have just on that basis alone. But he also, if you notice, understands that you don't come out and like actually advocate. Oh, let's like work on fixing that like right now, soon or whatever. Like kind of like almost agitating for it. It's more of just like yeah. an intellectual exercise in thinking long term adversarially as as. And it also comes from a place of 
you know, you should probably understand why is it that Bitcoiners are so obsessed about it in the first place? Well, the other thing too is that like, are are you discussing this topic because it is one of many technical Bitcoin related topics that you discuss? Or is it because it's something that is easy for you to discuss because yeah, it's yeah. like bike shedding, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it fits into your brain. And same thing with the block size limit. Like, oh, are you concerned about the SIG ops limit as well? Or is this like the only one that you're concerned about? Right. Uh, you don't you don't hear them, you know, talking about various, you know, optimizations around Yeah. Like signature aggregation. Yeah. Like they'd be like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, in any case, speaking of which, though, just remember that Schnorr is old technology. So I don't know oh, why you're so yeah. excited about it. Oh my god, it's over 20 years old, Michael. Do you know how old that is? It's almost as old as I am. Yeah, crazy. That's it's younger than I am, but it's still extremely old. <laughs> <laughs> I and I'm not old, but figure that math out. Um, in any case, uh, yeah. So that's. It's, it's it's concern trolling right like there's not I, I that's the way i it comes off all the time and now i'll have like conversations with bitcoin core developers about this topic where we can have a totally normal yes like we acknowledge that you know this is what we're discussing is highly controversial and but it's really like it's a conversation between friends and frankly like I, I would get flamed for it if I tweeted about it and like tweeted some of the things I say uh, because <laughs> people would, would would be up in arms about it because they're they're not like seeing especially like the wider context of like the conversation I'm having about Bitcoin's long term economics. But um, the other point I want to make is that I I have always seen a long-term too low hash rate as the biggest risk of ruin for Bitcoin. Uh, I, I saw it that way when I debated this with Gavin Andreessen in 2015. I still see it that way today. And then the, the question that Jocko asks is, what are you going to do about it? Like, how are you taking ownership of that problem if you've identified this to be a problem? So like my view of it is, and this has evolved over time, we're like, before, I, I used to think that like, all right, well, it's going to be shitty, but we're going to have like, you know, almost quasi-fractional reserve banks built on top of Bitcoin, but they'll be kept in check because we'll have a lot of competition and, you know, settling between banks will be very inexpensive. Um, and then Lightning came along and proved out the idea of like routing payments, which like when when the when the Lightning white paper first came out, I didn't understand that these payment channels were or routed. I thought that they were the same as the old payment channels, but that just speaks to how dumb I am. Um, and in any case, like it's now seeing that, okay, here's another way we can create demand for high, high fee on-chain transactions with opening and closing lightning channels. Uh, then it's like, all right, we got to go boss to the wall and get this lightning network like, in the hands of as many people as humanly possible. And we just have to completely maximize adoption of the mm -hmm. Lightning Network if we want to minimize the risk of too low hash rate in the long term. And so, like, to me, that's the number one objective right now. Well, and so many, so many of the uh, sort of minor death spiral situations that people uh, propose 
deals with basically a situation where Bitcoin just doesn't have much demand. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, if you're creating this thing where everyone wants to onboard with Lightning and use it, you're going to continue having that demand for stuff. Um, yeah. And by and the time you get there, like, you know, decades from now, I mean, the, the goal here is to create a global reserve currency. So, you know, the, the objective is just winning that. And I, I feel as though that that solves a lot of the issues. It does. Absolutely. <laughs> um, which then really turns it into like, okay, are you complaining about this hypothetical future in 20 years uh, because you want to shill an altcoin or like, what are you actually doing about it today? If imagine you do see someone, it as a problem. Imagine someone trying to introduce an altcoin in like 2052. <laughs> Where it's like everyone's gonna, deep into Bitcoin and they're like, okay, but I got a new money. <laughs> I'm sure they'll get increasingly uh, creative and sophisticated. And like, I think that now I'm not, I'm not very entrepreneurial when it comes to seniorage revenues. Uh, <laughs> that hasn't been like one of my strengths. Well, you only, you only got a C in economics. That's why you, you had no future in yeah, public, exactly. uh, you know, manufactured consent. That's true. <laughs> um, I, I tend to be so stuck on the shelling point that I, I can't monetize the seniorage. Um, but in any case, like I, I think that there will be increasingly creative ways of uh, generating seniorage revenues. And, you know, we saw it first with just like fair launches, you know, with Litecoin and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, like unfair launches, pre-mines, ICOs. Um, now, to me, like ICOs were like the most blatant pre-mines, right? Like it used to be that pre-mines were like socially unacceptable. But then if you kind of make it look like equity and all equity is pre-mined, uh, then now, now you've done some like hand-waving and smoke and mirrors to now make it socially acceptable. Um and so I think that they're always going to be like innovating in that regard of finding new ways or, or, you know, like Bitcoin cash of being like, Oh no, this is not like us creating another shit coin with seniorage uh, through our mining operations. Uh, yeah. This is just us like having a genuine, you know, disagreement on the future of Bitcoin. I guess my, my hope then as far as quelling shit coinery is that as Bitcoin grows, um, and becomes more of a reserve currency and people are using it more, you know, as a savings vehicle, people will start thinking about their wealth in terms of, well, has it been settled in Bitcoin yet? Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, the classic, like, well, you don't have the money until you have the check in your hand. Well, it's like you, you don't have the Bitcoins until, you know, they're actually in your wallet with six plus confirmations. Um, and so, you know, right now, Actually, yeah, like someone makes a bunch of equities. It's like, well, I don't know if it's going to do better than the dollar, which a lot of these frankly do. Yeah. Um, then maybe it's not such a bad idea uh, to just, you know, grab some and, and hedge against that. Uh, but in the future with sound money, uh, that is a much more difficult proposition. But, you know, of course, it's like you're saying, <laughs> people, people are very creative. Um, so 
Yeah, and I, I think that eventually, like, part of it is is like the marketing strength, right? So, I think that this is where oh, my it's team- incredible. I mean, this is I've been saying it since like 2014 now, 2014 or 2015. How the history of altcoins has just been like a a history of people learning how to do web development <laughs> because it started from you know it's going to be funny, you know, in 2052 or whatever. And, you know, there's some new shit coin, and we're like, ah, oh, kids don't buy that. And we're gonna have to like sit our grandkids down on our, our knee and tell them how like back back in my day, when someone wanted to create a shit coin, they would just go on Bitcoin talk and make an announcement thread. Eventually they learned how to make a logo. Yeah. <laughs> and then they changed the uh, mining, you know, the, the mining algorithm. My, you know, my fi- they didn't want to use SHA-256. Shame on them. My favorite is on the website when it has the the nodes that are connected with lines, you know, and it's like moving around. And it's like, no, nobody runs a node for your altcoin. Why do you have this graphic on your website? It doesn't and the make- Ethereum Classic, I just had that like trolling tweet about like, oh, plot twist. No one actually runs Ethereum Classic nodes. I didn't even, I didn't even know, you know, it just, I just felt like that. People were getting really upset with me and yet... Most of what I was gathering as as time rolled on was that I was actually completely right. Yeah, they were like, "No, that's that's not true." My friend Jim runs one. Look, it's like my wait. friends, brothers, bosses, uncles, you know, second <laughs> cousin once removed has a node. And then you, you call them up and they're like, "Oh yeah, it crashed a few years ago. Could uh, <laughs> I get it to sync? Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on with that, but hypothetically." One could conceivably rat, run a run a node. Uh, oh man, uh, we take so much for granted in Bitcoin. Like I take it for granted that I can just like open up Bitcoin D and it's just going to sink. But that's just not the case with these other chains. No, oh, it's it's incredible. Uh, we're we're so blessed. Truly, Th- thank you, thank you as always to all of the hardworking developers who have uh, made this a reality. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, well, did we seriously spend an hour uh, ranting about uh, journalists? <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> uh, um, so we definitely should chill the uh, BitBlock Boom conference in Dallas. Uh, I think this is like, in terms of uh, conferences, uh, this is the one to go to because you're going to have uh, me, Michael Goldstein, and Safedean, uh, and Peter McCormack, are kind of the four Bitcoin maximalists who have uh, who are going to be speaking there for now. There's going to be more names that come out over the coming months. So there's going to be like more and more uh, Bitcoin maximalists uh, that names that you know um, that'll be going. And I think that we can make many it... more as guests. Oh yeah, I think that uh, it'll be like eighty to ninety percent. Bitcoin maximalists, both on the guest side and on the speaker side. And the other thing I want to emphasize is that, like, I, I'm, I'm talking about speakers here, but honestly, like, so we, Michael and I went to this conference last year uh, as speakers, and um, I, I didn't do a very good job of promoting the conference because I didn't know uh, the person who was organizing it very well, Gary Leland. And this, this space is full of scammers. And I, I should have known 
that Gary was not a scammer because he has a very good Southern uh, twang on, on him. So I should have known that he was a very honest man uh, as, as, and like, I, I grew up in Texas. Like I should know Gary's like the small business owner that everyone relies on. And, you know, a handshake is worth a, a million bucks. But in any case, uh, after we experienced the, incredible uh, conference that Gary organized. Uh, he was like on top of everything and very good at, you know, essentially putting together an event, which I know is extremely challenging to do. Um, so now we want to make sure that we promote it really well this year to make up for, for last year. Uh, and also because I think that it could quickly become like the Bitcoin maximalist conference in North America. So I know that there's good ones in, in Europe as well. Um, and the, I, I frankly don't even go to a lot of Bitcoin conferences. It's, it's oh, no, they're, they're it, mostly travel, even even, you know, if it's paid for, you know, it's just like traveling. And like you say, yeah, there's a bunch of scams and stuff. It's just like it's it's hard to really get the motivation to want to, yeah. to leave. There's so much, you know, fun, you know, ship posting and coding and stuff to do um, to walk away from. But uh, Bitblock Boom is uh it's 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 worth it, and it's why you know I'm out of all the conferences going on this year. I know I'm going to at least one, and probably just one, and it's Bitblock Boom. Yeah, and um, it's hard to pay three times fast. My yeah, my favorite part about the conference was like that the and actually we got we we got in trouble for this uh, with Gary was that um, there was so many people out in the hallway talking about Bitcoin uh, when there was like speakers on stage that like it would cause like noise to bleed into the conference room. And Gary would be like, Hey, can you guys like quiet down out here? Because there's a speaker on stage. Um, and Gary uh, took ownership of that problem and created a separate room for networking. So it's going to be like a kind of a hybrid unconference and conference um, because basically there are like, there are people who are not like us plugged in on Twitter or listening to the noted podcast 24 seven. Like they happen to live in Dallas. They heard about this conference and they're going and they're like sitting to listen to every speaker and they're writing down notes and like they're, they're wanting to learn that way. Um, and they are, have the humility to know that they don't really know enough to, to be having like in-depth conversations. So they're just like, attending the conference to, to learn. And that's great. Um, then there are people who are attending the conference to hang out with friends uh, and to talk about Bitcoin because we all know each other from Twitter already. Um, so there's going to be like both those things happening simultaneously. Uh, and that's what I liked a lot about this conference is like, it's not like the speakers go in and they like go to a private speaker VIP dinner and like never interact with anyone else attending the conference. Like, it's the complete opposite. Uh, I'd be really pissed if I had to go to a speaker VIP <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the it, it it doesn't make sense when you're hanging out with a bunch of Bitcoin maximalists. Like, it's like I I would understand wanting to just go to a speaker thing if it's like I'm going to this conference and it's like a consensus here in New York or like a fintech conference where it's going to be a bunch of like, oh, you know, blockchain is much better than Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin's obsolete. It's all about the blockchain technology. And 
supply chain for you know dead monkeys is kind of the future of of blockchain. Uh, so like that, obviously, uh, I would find insufferable, and I'd be like, all right, I'm just gonna go hang out with my friends over here. Um, but uh, this is not that. Uh, this this is a bunch of Bitcoiners, hardcore Bitcoiners, and the evening before the conference, uh, Friday evening before the conference, we're gonna have the second Satoshi Nakamoto Institute annual dinner. And I've been kind of brainstorming uh, the format for this. Um, last year, we did it in a sold out, uh, a sold out steakhouse. Uh, we had 82 people attend. There were supposed to be 80. <laughs> um, and it was the most fun dinner I've ever attended. Uh, it was also the loudest. Like there was just like 82 different conversations going on about Bitcoin. Um, and it was just a huge blast. The problem was that it was so crowded. Uh, like we couldn't move between tables. Uh, we were kind of like stuck. Uh, like, it, the, yeah, the place which was great. Was, but oddly, oddly, the steakhouse was built for, you know, people sitting down at a table. Yeah, It's very weird. Yeah, they wanted you to have like a sit down dinner and we wanted to like stand around and like talk. Um, I was I was hoping you guys would just bring out the cow and put it in the middle and we'd all just, you know, eat from the, the animal <laughs> or some kind of like Siberians. Uh, I would love that. Um, so now I think that we're going to do the opposite of that, where we have the cows being eaten in like different corners of the room. And so basically, like uh, if, if if you've been to like a I, I, I don't know if this is the case, like in every country, but here in the U.S., You'll go to like a big wedding and they'll have like food stations around mm -hmm. the room. And then there's like circular dinner tables uh, that are, you know, interspersed around the room and people just like float around basically. And, and there's a dance floor, you know, but this is a Bitcoin conference with like 90% dudes. So I don't think we'll have the dance floor. Um but well, thinking, it'll be like, like just like all of us will bring our computers and have our full nodes set up and yeah, be, uh, be setting up channels in person. And we could absolutely be like, bring your laptop if you want to like be opening channels and like uh, verifying PGP keys and whatnot. Um, and then like we could also hire like a jazz band or a, a little classical, uh, you know, band uh, to to play some background music um, and. Yeah, have have an evening like that where we've got like room to breathe, uh, and it's not as claustrophobic as the steakhouse. Now, granted, we'll still have steak, uh, like prime rib, being served at carving stations around the room, so there'll be no shortage of of meat, and we can have like a barbecue catered and all of that. Um, but really, make it much much more uh, social. Uh, mm -hmm. That now. I say that, and yet, like I was just saying, like it was it was extremely social, <laughs> the steakhouse. Uh, but I think right, that it'll but, be an upgrade. But, yes, exactly. We're gonna... We can fit more than eighty people, which is like the most important part of this. Like I think we could fit like five hundred people if we do this. Yes, yes. I don't and know that we'll every get to five hundred, but what is that? Um, well, we have five thousand listeners, so I would expect ten percent of our listeners to go uh, to Dallas in August. Uh, for this so that we have 500 attendees at the second Nakamoto Institute dinner. And if each of them bring a handful of friends, <laughs> we can uh, reach the full 5,000. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know that we can fit 5,000 people in the room, Michael, but uh, 
Maybe we'll have to really like we'll get a stadium. Right, well, well, we'll bring uh, Marie Kondo, and as people enter, we'll just does this Bitcoiner truly spark joy? Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, that's going to be hard to sort through. <laughs> Already, it was hard to do the KYC AML last year when we had the big spreadsheet that you know we were doing background checks on people to make sure they weren't shit coiners. Um. Uh, but I think that. And yeah, I'm going to do that again this year. Uh, I'm going to make sure that uh, everyone gets vetted and has like a an appropriate safe space. Yeah, I, I do want it to be a safe space. Nothing irritates me more than going to an event and overhearing or being subjected to a conversation about an altcoin. Like you'll you'll have this happen, even even among people that I thought I had carefully vetted. They'll they'll be like someone who's like. Oh yeah, I used to be interested in this altcoin, and then they launch into an infomercial about it, and I'm like, "Stop right now! Cut it out!" Like we can Jeez. we can be we can be lenient a little bit around like trading conversations. Even that's like, oh, that's yeah. it. Uh, oh, I can't stand it. But it's like you know, there's at some point there's some conversations like I'm not gonna I'm gonna choose my battles. Yeah, but with the altcoin, no, I'm choosing that battle. <laughs> you are out yeah so w- maybe we'll have to hire a couple of bouncers uh to physically remove altcoiners if any of them make it past our stringent kyc aml standards i'm hot is pretty big what's that uh i'm hot i'm hot i hope oh I'm yeah yeah yeah, right. yeah yeah absolutely he, he's, a, he's a pretty big guy Awesome. We'll have him uh, do the security I detail. He, I think he looked good in a Bane mask too. <laughs> uh, oh, we can. We have Jeff also, uh, who's oh, a bodybuilder. Yes. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> they can just lift people up and, and throw them out. Yeah, I dare someone to mess with Jeff. Yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, last conference, everyone was Myron. <laughs> Are those real? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so how many bitcoins uh, did it cost? Uh, the other thing too is before the dinner, uh, we're going to be doing a lightning workshop. Um, and so basically, I'll be like explaining how lightning works. Uh, but between my explanations, I'm going to be helping people onboard themselves onto lightning. Uh, and so uh, ideally, people will leave the workshop. Knowing about lightning, uh, at least at a basic level, I think we'll be able to get into like intermediate topics as well, and maybe even you know a few advanced issues. Uh, but in any case, at least beginner level. And like, I I barely understand advanced issues in lightning, so I'll I'll be uh, in hot water if anyone asks about it. This will be in August though, so like maybe by then I'll be a total lightning wizard. At this rate, <laughs> it's funny because like. I I didn't know anything about lightning until like October of last year, <laughs> which is approximately four months ago. And uh, this this what we're talking about will be in six months. <laughs> but already I have people on Twitter being like, "Pierre's they'll they'll like tag me, roast beef, and like <laughs> you know another big or lightning developer." And I'm like, "Why why are you tagging me? Like I I don't know anything." I just put together like this Python QT interface, <laughs> but now I'm, I'm lightning Jesus. It's kind of absurd, but that's, that's the way social media works. Like 
whatever energy you put out there, uh, people will just like project whatever that is onto you. So like, that's that, the thing about that, like that, that can be a good thing though. Um, yeah, in the sense sure. that it if if you have the right person, you also have the right kind of cheerleader. Yeah. So uh, even if you know the the person who tags you, you might not know it, but you know how to get them what they need. Oh yeah, you know absolutely. How to keep their spirits up and all of that. So yeah, uh, and and I love uh, connecting people. So I've had people like contact me about something, and I'm like, oh no, you you need to get in touch with Jack Mahler's at Zap. Like he'll sort you out. You know, like that that way I'm kind of like the help desk of uh, the Lightning Network. But it's a lot of fun. And the other thing too, like I, I had someone be like. Hey, I'm having trouble getting Jewel working with Sea Lightning. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. Uh, it's 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 only for L and D, but um, <laughs> let's let's get you set up on L and D. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it does put you also in a, a great position where you get to see how people are actually dealing with this at the margins. Yeah, absolutely. That's and that's that's really that's been guiding like the way that I've been developing the node launcher is like, uh, you know, I, I had the node launcher working great and people were like, how do I add my alias? And like, I had so many people ask me that I was like, finally, I was like, all right, I'll just add a text box inside the node launcher that lets you set your alias. So you don't have to open up lnd.conf and you don't have to have me explain to you how to do that. Uh, and so like, as, as people bring things up. And then I started having people being like, hey, how do I set up like a routing node for Lightning? So now it's got me thinking like, okay, how do I add features to the node launcher so that you can be a routing node without doing command line stuff? Yeah, this is just a thought. Yeah. I'm always having, I'm, I'm always giving you new suggestions. No, for, I love uh, it. For that. And I, I'm imagining an interface right now. Um, are you familiar with, you know, various... Uh, uh, like MP3 metadata editing software, like Music Brains Picard, or or even the yeah. interface when you're doing uh, Audacity, like where when you, you save can a file. add key values. Yeah, so like if you had something like that for the configuration files, uh, but it gives you like a limited input of types of things you can put in, but it kind of helps guide you, and you only put in as much as you want. Does that make interesting. sense? Interesting. Yes, it does. That because yeah, that's very interesting. Um, well, so I have mixed feelings about that because to me that interface is ideal when you need a freeform key. Uh, there's 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 no need for a freeform <laughs> key here. See, I disagree because, like for instance, I, I mentioned MP3s, and MP3s have pretty standard. But you can uh, add meditation. a freeform key to it, right? So in this case, well, I wasn't. I, yes, yes, and yes, and you could still have like the interface where it's just like it's it's taking away a bit of the freeform. And when you type in a freeform, I yeah. mean, with the let's be honest, the Bitcoin configuration is a bit freeform in the sense uh, of yeah, you only so, add what you want. Yeah. So like what 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 I had in mind was that I would do the really tedious work of creating a settings. So I actually, today I actually released a new version of the node launcher. Um, and uh, go, if, if you're not, if you're not using the node launcher already uh, noted podcast listeners, uh, shame on you, shame on you. Uh, but anyway, go download it. And basically it adds a settings menu. So like if you do like command comma on Mac, it'll open up the preferences 
And right now it just has like the basic stuff that I basically removed from that one window uh, and moved it into the settings. Eventually I want to have every single little configuration that you can set in bitcoin.conf or in lnd.conf in in the GUI. And if it's Boolean, like it's going to be a checkbox. Mm-hmm. If it's text, it's going to be a text with some validation um, and so on. If it's, you know, an enum, it'll have like what, like, for example, debug level. Like, I'll just be able to say, like, here's a drop down, set it to like info or error yeah, or yeah. whatever and all of that. And so have it all so that uh, a someone who is a GUI user can go in and maybe also have like tool tips that like explain what this setting does um, so that people can really like customize things without having to be intimidated. Like I I personally find text files to be intimidating to, to, to edit for configuration purposes. Yeah. Because it's like, there's a lot to learn from uh, Jameson Lops tool as well. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I want to do. I basically just want to re-implement it uh, in Qt, QT. Th- instead of nice. JavaScript. Yeah. yeah, that'll be fantastic. And for LND as well, uh, because there's people who like want to set like autopilot settings, you know, and like you can do that in the text file. Um, but there's a bunch of stuff I want to do with the node launcher. Uh, but right now, like I want to get, I want to get like this. I, I like eventually I want to have a full featured channel management lightning wallet essentially implemented in, in QT. Uh, but right now I, I want to just focus on just the, the launching part and mm-hmm. like the, because the configuration it's kind of weird too, because the configuration happens before you launch the daemon, whether it's for Bitcoin or lightning um, and users are not really used to that. Like you're used to setting the configuration after you've opened the application. Um, and uh, that's kind of like a difference between like the Unix world and the uh, normie uh, GUI world. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to like bridge those two. Uh, and now like granted, yes, I, I know that uh, Bitcoin does have um, some, uh, Michael just dropped off the stream. He's probably bored by this conversation. I can't blame him. Um, there's there are things inside the Bitcoin QT interface that you can set, uh, but you can't set everything. Um, anyway, I'll wrap up the episode now that uh, Michael has dropped off uh, and join us on uh, live streams. If you join our Patreon at patreon.com slash noted, N-O-D-E-D. Uh, and if you sign up, uh, if you become a patron, then you'll get a notification when we're going to do a live stream and then you can join the live stream uh, on YouTube and watch us record episodes live. Uh, Follow me at here underscore Richard. Follow Michael who is back at Bitstein. As long as they don't like kick me off again. (laughs) Oh yeah. Also, if you see Michael tweet anything that rustles your jimmies at all, Please be sure to report it. Uh, report it so that you know Michael's toxic behavior uh, gets uh, flagged and he gets uh, digitally removed by Jack from uh, Jack's uh, Covenant community. After all the nice things I said about him, <laughs> you can also, of course, visit me at bitstein.org 
if I ever get kicked off other parts of the internet, I'll still have uh, my my small slice of yeah, you know, digital life tending to like my garden. We've got to, you know, there's there's Mastodon, but I feel like we got to come up with our own system. We got to come up with our own social media system. Mm, it's it's tough. I think that's for another episode, but it's tough. Okay, all right. <laughs> Something to think about. I, I think that I think that our social media system is going to be based off of lightning. I, I'm, I'm convinced of it at this point, but uh, I just I've just gotta I gotta pick the low-hanging fruit first uh, yeah. before I get I to tend it. to think that the future is just in, in more chat rooms. We're gonna it's not gonna be IRC, but we're gonna go back to the IRC days. Yeah, I do like that. I do like the global broadcast idea of Twitter. Yeah, of like, it's just uh, the more heated it gets, the more difficult it is to, uh, you know, if you accidentally say the wrong thing about Python. Oh, or, yeah. or sorry, if you if you fail to say the right thing about Python. Yeah. If you fail to mention Python, you get... Uh, Booted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and like we, we chat on Slack, but really we need to move away from that and get... Get get a like a proper encrypted chat room, uh, mm-hmm. but there's just so much to work on and so little time. Uh, we didn't even get to what you're working on on Lightning stuff. Uh, we 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 can keep going. Uh, do you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I've I've just been. I actually it was it was basically thanks to the Node Launcher. Uh, I I I I used the node launcher a little bit, but I was also actually you know digging into the code. That's itself, okay. You're a developer. You're allowed to do that. The you GUI definitely the like handling. helped me along, and it was I, I enjoyed you know getting to play with it and understand with understand it, so I can recommend yeah. it to other people. Um, in any case, you know it helped me finally get you know a mainnet Lightning node up. Um, I don't I don't spend Bitcoin, so it's like it's hard. I I could celebrate it, but it's like I don't want to. <laughs> even right now it's like i have channels open and it's just like a test it's like well i don't want to spend <laughs> but uh you know because of that um and because of some you know contract work that i'm doing that's you know had me working ro- more programmatically with nodes um which is something that i hadn't done as much prior um it just got me on a on a frenzy uh with uh you know working with lightning and trying to understand you know yeah. how to work at it, uh, work with it on on an app level. Um, so I've just been, you know, setting all that up, just going from ground zero of just you know getting a node set up, then you know getting testnet and getting Zap and Jewel, and just like working with all of the different facets of setting up Lightning environments for both use and development. Um, then working with the RPC. And then programmatically working with the RPC using the Python uh, Go, uh, I guess the bindings, the yeah, gRPC yeah. bindings. Um, and then from there, you know, now I'm I'm working with Python because I am primarily a Python developer. Uh, <laughs> just uh, building building Lightning integrated Flask apps. Um, so we'll see if anything comes out of it, but. Um, you know, I, I'm just trying to understand all of that. So I didn't get to tweet it out, uh, but I did, you know, make my first, it's actually my first out of, you know, all the times I've, all, all this time I've been programming, the first time I've put up a uh, PyPy 
uh, package, something that people can pip install. I made a awesome. uh, uh, Flask LND um, based on Will Clark's uh, Python wrapper um, for uh, the LND gRPC. Um, which is great. There's there's still a little bu- a few. I wouldn't say bugs necessarily, just like little quirks that um, I've been submitting issues and hopefully PRs later on for. Um, but it's it's been a great little package from him. Thank you, Will, or I guess Bill. Um, so working with that, and now the the LN- Flask LND is it's a very simple Flask ex- extension, but it does drop LND into your Flask app so that any of you can start making RPC calls and. You can create invoices and, you know, do yeah, the whole thing. I, I remember um, at uh, with uh, 21Co back in the golden era of, well, I guess you could, you know, it's funny. Now we talk about like the, the golden days, you know, the golden era. But really it's the Bitcoin era uh, of uh, 21Co. <laughs> um, and you could add a decorator to a view in Flask that would put a paywall essentially on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I don't know if you've had a chance yet to look at the LN web standard that uh, oh. Will O'Byrne's working on, but basically a decorator that like adds LN web type features that, you know, would be like a paywall or whatever it is. Uh, there's just, there's a lot of exciting uh, things that are going to emerge from this. Yeah. I need to, I need to look into that more because of course, when, once you put in invoices onto a web app, you need better ways to interact with it, which is why something like jewel is great because it's just there in the browser to yeah. start talking to uh, stuff that's in the, in the Dom. Um, I'm becoming a jewel maximalist. I don't like using zap anymore. Uh, I, I find it to be often like rather irritating and, and like a bizarre view on what's going on on my node. Um, uh, while jewel like is, yes, it's, it's simpler. Uh, but I also find it to just be like more like informative as to what's going on. Like I open up zap and I'm like, how much money do I have? I, I, I don't even like, I, I don't have a clear answer to that. Uh, but well, uh, Will, Will O'Bearn, I guess uh, he, he did have the privilege of, or disprivilege of working on all kinds of, you know, kind of uh, shit coin um, stuff. And one thing is, you know, I did joke earlier that it was like a, a progress of web development yeah. and they did become very adept. And so because of that, uh, he did learn, it seems like a, you know, incredible UX design around how to manage these things. And now it's being ported over to the, to the light side of the force um, so that we can make good use of it. So that's, uh, you know, thank, thank you, Will. Uh, and I, I actually, I can't wait to, to dive into Jewel and see um, what I can do with it myself, like from a, from a develop, developer point of view. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you're listening to this and, you're interested in Bitcoin and you want to experiment, uh, use my node launcher to get yourself set up and then open up Jewel and connect to the uh, nodes. And you're going to be s- sending Satoshis around uh, before you know it. And, yeah. and I just wrote a guide today about setting up developer uh, development environments for Bitcoin and Lightning. Um, so yeah. you can work with reg tests so you don't have to even wait around for blocks to be mined and all of that you can get straight to developing stuff with payments so i want to add reg test to uh the node launcher um and actually i you know i have the code behind right here 
I'm first of all removing testnet uh, because um, like currently the way it is, is like there's a tab for mainnet and a tab for testnet. Mm-hmm. I'm just removing that whole concept entirely. There's one tab, whether it's mainnet, testnet, or reg test, it's going to be based on your Bitcoin configuration file uh, because that's actually a parameter in there. And so you'll go to settings and you hit a checkbox of uh, reg test. Um, now, what you were talking about uh, with regards to like, like there's there's things I can do after that to then make it even better in the mm-hmm. sense of like mining a bunch of blocks, giving you bitcoins, opening a channel, so then you can go and like test different things out, uh, like you're doing in your guide uh, with uh, different nodes as well. Um, but yeah, that that quickly falls out of scope for the node launcher because mm-hmm. I'm really I'm I'm aiming for like non-developers and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although there's there's plenty of room. I, I I expect a lot of those people are going to want to level up over time. Oh yeah. Um, sure. And it, it's gonna. It, there's actually I don't think I I went through the whole thing, but Christopher Allen's uh, Bitcoin command line tutorial on GitHub was very useful at just kind of becoming comfortable with the command line. And Reg Test is the perfect environment for that because it's all it's all just fake stuff. It's all fake money. And you're going to just screw around and kind of just tinker with everything without fear of messing anything up. So it's really funny that you mentioned that because I also have a Medium post that I was waiting for this latest release today of the Node Launcher before publishing this Medium post where I do uh, like how to get set up on LNCLI the same way that you would do whatever you're doing in Jewel with like opening a channel of like getting a new, well, starting with getting a new address, uh, depositing Bitcoins to that address, seeing that on-chain transaction. That's great. Yeah. But it's also, I, I have it like aimed for uh, node launcher users. So they're doing it with real money. So I hope that they're managing their risk properly. And if they want to do it with funny money, then uh, go check out Michael's guide. And, <laughs> and now I will link to your guide and, and make it clear that, hey, you don't have to experiment with real money if you don't want to. Yeah, well, I think, you know, as far as like the GUI slash like versus command line thing, a, a learning experience, regardless of which one you end up, you know, decide, you know you're, you've said before, you just naturally, you just prefer GUIs because you don't want to think about, you know, the command line stuff. And it's it's just not your style of interacting with the computer. But it is a great learning experience when you realize how much of GUIs, it's really just a mapping of the command line. And oh, so... Yeah the more you can learn that it's like, when you see this on the GUI, this check mark, this is equivalent to this flag. Yeah. So it's like, if you, when, when you see the, the form and you type in this and you click that checkbox and then you hit submit, that's equivalent to setting this command with this option, with this flag, and then hitting enter. Exactly. And then, and then you can take it one step further of like, writing a guide on how to use the LND API with Python to do those things. And then now you see that, oh, that command line thing is actually just doing this like API call that um, so on and so forth. Um, but it turns out yeah. learning to code is awesome and <laughs> makes you feel powerful. It also, it also leads to moments of total helplessness and, frustration but builds character it builds character i would say good good yeah (laughs) get after it (laughs) 
All right, we got to stop the podcast uh, before uh, my wife screams at me for not going to uh, bed before 10 p.m. It'd make great content, though. Yeah, it, it would. Uh, actually, Morgan's asked to be on the podcast several times now. <laughs> and, not for chance. Uh, get her angry enough. Yeah. <laughs> she could come on at any point, right? She could just barge in here and, and get involved, but... Uh, she's polite enough. Now we'll we'll have her on because um, I I want to have her on when it's clear that the the bear market has like turned. You know how like we had that moment uh, in 2016 when it was like, all right, the bear market's over. We're like you know at a thousand dollars or whatever. Like when that happens, I want to have her on so that she can talk some financial sense to people. Uh, yeah, and you got to prepare ahead of time. Yeah, because start when start, you're going to start feeling that euphoria and you're going to make bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, go join our Patreon, patreon.com slash noted. And that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for joining us. All right, have a great evening. I want to know, what is your answer uh, to young people for some of the really big uh, uh, problems facing humanity, like the you know, climate catastrophe, like economic crisis, like the precarious job market. Because I just don't, like you talk all this much about uh, individual responsibility. Most of us are never going to be able to afford uh, to have all of these assets to have responsibility over. So what is your advice beyond banal comments like clean your room? Well, you know, it's actually rather difficult to answer a question that ends with your comments are banal, politely. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, would, I would consider that more of an opinionated personal and political statement than actually a question. So why don't you try reformulating that so that there's an actual question there? What is your... <laughs> So what is your advice to young people when you talk about you need to be individually responsible, but when there are things that are so far out of our control, like climate catastrophe, like the precarious job economy, like you know, the They're economic crisis? They're not as far out of your what, control what is, as you what think. Is, what is your answer do you to think people that who you're are worse facing off these than questions? Your, do you think that you're worse off than your grandparents? I think there are different challenges. Do you think you're worse off than your grandparents? Uh, Jordan, once again, we're not going to cross-examine our questioners. Uh, so try answering the question about collective responsibility on climate change, for example. Pick, pick one part of that, uh, because the argument, I think, is that individual responsibility does not change um, the climate, does not fix the problem that needs global collective responsibility. So I think that's the core of the question. Do you have a, a theory about that? Well, fundamentally, I'm a psychologist, and my experience has been that people can do a tremendous amount of good for themselves and for the people who are immediately around them by looking to their own inadequacies and their own flaws and the things that they're not doing in their lives and starting to build themselves up as more powerful individuals. And if they're capable of doing that, then they're capable of expanding their career. And if they're capable of expanding their career and their competence, then they're capable of taking their place in the community as effective leaders. And then they're capable of making wise decisions instead of unwise decisions when it comes to making collective political decisions. I'm not suggesting in the least and have never suggested 
that there's no domain for social action. I'm suggesting that people who don't have their own houses in order should be very careful before they go about reorganizing the world, which happens in many ways. <laughs> so, are you, can, can, can I just... just to... If a young person believes that the uh, climate, the global warming um, problem on the climate is something that needs to be tackled quickly and they can't wait until they grow up and become prime ministers to do it, do, do you think collective responsibility overrides individual responsibility in a huge issue like that? No. <laughs> OK. I don't. Okay. I, I think that generally... I think that generally... I think that generally... People, I think generally people have things that are more within their personal purview that are more difficult to deal with and that they're avoiding and that generally the way they avoid them is by adopting uh, pseudo-moralistic stances on large-scale social issues so that they look good to their friends and their neighbours.